Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Pediatric COVID-19 vaccines are on the way. This will create enormous shifts for schools, especially in big cities like Chicago. The FDA approved COVID shots for kids on Friday. And now we're waiting for final approval from the CDC. That approval is likely to come tomorrow, meaning kids 5 to 11 years old could start getting jabbed within days. But as city governments battle with many of their police and firefighters over vaccine mandates, what will this mean for parents who still have fear and might refuse the vaccines for their children? We're lucky to have with us the new CEO for Chicago Public Schools, Pedro Martinez, to answer some of these questions. And he has a lot of feelings about this news. It feels great, Sasha. You know, for me being a parent of an 11-year-old and a 7-year-old, even though I know our schools are safe, it's going to be so much more comforting for parents like myself to know that we can get our children vaccinated. Well, the uh, approval from the FDA kind of took some parents by surprise. So how prepared is the district? We are very prepared. You know, we're very fortunate that we actually have school-based clinics where we partner with healthcare providers from the community. And so we will have 15 of our school-based health clinics that will be ready and will have access to the vaccines. The uh, top doctor in the city, Allison Arwoody, she says that Chicago will get 100,000 pediatric vaccines in this first round. What exactly is the plan for getting as many students vaccinated as possible, Pedro? So first of all, Sasha, you know, I know many parents like my wife and I, you know, we will have a pediatrician that we trust and, and we, you can take your children because every, most of our pediatricians will actually get supply of COVID vaccines as well as many of our large hospitals. What we're trying to help is for families who may not have a, a pediatrician and that's why, you know, we want to make sure we open up our, our, our school-based health clinics. And what's great is that with 100,000 vaccines that will be shipped as soon as the CDC gives guidance, that represents 50% of our 5 to 11-year-olds here in the city of Chicago. And that's, by the way, 100,000 just for this week. Mm-hmm. So that gives you an idea how prepared our federal government is and how prepared we are locally to be able to actually you know, receive that much vaccine. So for our listeners, I want to give a, a bit more detail here. The district's going to deploy vaccine doses to four regional health care hubs at schools throughout the city. So Michelle Clark on the west side, Roosevelt High School on the northwest side, Richards High School and Chicago Vocational on the city's south side. Uh, Another 16 schools with existing health clinics will offer appointment-only doses. And a mobile van will have the capacity to administer up to 100 shots a day. It will be routed so that it returns to the same school site three weeks later for secondary doses. Is that right? That's right, Sasha. Thank you for providing those details. And and I think for our parents, what I want them to really hear is that between your pediatrician, between our local health providers, between our school-based clinics and our regional sites, we will have plenty of supply for our children. And so it really is a matter of how, what's the most convenient for our parents. And of course, you know, it is a two-shot uh, vaccine. And so parents need to plan for that. But what's great is the vaccine that the children are receiving, it's about 30% of what we get as adults or 12-year-olds and up. So it's a lower dosage, and because, of course, our children are younger and their immune systems are so strong, they don't require as much vaccine, which also means less side effects. 
I want to shift for a moment to talking about students uh, age 12 to 17. That's where my kids fall. Mm-hmm. And, and back in the spring, they were able to get their vaccinations. But Pedro, fewer than half of CPS students in that age range have gotten the shot. So how do you get that number up and also ensure that these younger students get vaccinated? Yeah, you know, Sasha, it's been one of my concerns because, like you said, under 50% of our children 12 and up that are eligible are receiving vaccines. Now, we have plenty of supply. Uh, All of our centers that are providing vaccines are running well below capacity. And so we started creating videos of students uh, that are now, you know, we're putting now on social media where students themselves are talking about how, why they got vaccinated, why it's important, uh, you know, the fact that they had very little side effects. And so we're hoping that's going to be one of the efforts. Uh, and I think we just have to continue to do more outreach. I think, unfortunately, our city, uh, because our city is, so, is getting so safe, the cases are so low, it's putting everybody more at ease. But we also know that COVID is still here. And my concern, Sasha, is that with the holidays coming, there's going to be more family gatherings. There's going to be more individuals that, you know, just get symptoms of colds. And unfortunately, you know, because we still don't know, that means we have to make sure that those children, we don't allow them to come to class and they have to get tested before they're allowed to come back. So, so I just urge all of our families take advantage of the fact that the supply is here. And it's going to be here, by the way, even, even when our 5 to 11-year-olds are approved. We still have plenty of capacity. Do you have a, a system in place to, to get consent from parents so that these young kids can get the shot? We do, actually. So, you know, of course, every parent's a little different, Sasha. You know, I know for my children, you know, they're going to want my wife or I to be there with them. Mm -hmm. But for some families, because of work situations, you know, we can provide the vaccines right there in our sites, uh, even without parents being there. So we will have permission for parents to sign if they would like that approach. And, of course, the vaccines are safe. Um, And so, again, we want to go where parents are at. So if that's easier for them, we'll have that option for them. You know, there are some parents who are still hesitant about the COVID vaccine altogether. So what type of outreach is CPS doing to those ones? So what we're going to be doing, Sasha, is partnering with our health providers because we know that at the end, uh, you know, parents are going to trust doctors and health professionals. And so we're actually partnering to do some town halls. We'll do some other parent outreach events at specific neighborhoods. We're going to partner with the City Department of Health as well. So the best we can do right now is just provide as much information as possible. But like I said, for me, Sasha, the fact that 5 to 11-year-old vaccines for 5 to 11 years are even, are even available, that is such, such a game changer because I think we have so many families. Just for example, Sasha, the fact that if our children are vaccinated, I don't have to quarantine them. Even if there's a, a suspected case of exposure in the classroom, that will make a significant difference in our classrooms. But the vaccination program for 5 to 11-year-olds, is that going to mean that quarantine rules will change again? Because I know quarantine rules were just adjusted. Yeah, so Sasha, we're gonna we are gonna adjust. We're, we're gonna make more adjustments, and, and because right now the adjustment we made initially was we reduced the quarantine period from 14 to 10 days, which is um, you know uh, recommended by the CDC or allowed by the CDC. The a couple adjustments that you're gonna see us that we're working on for the month of November are one is allowing more of our children to either come back sooner if they get tested. So the CDC allows us to provide a child a COVID test uh, five days after they've been exposed, and if they're negative, they can come back by day seven. That's one change we're going to put in place. Another is is we're looking right now at the state guidelines of the State Department of Health, which does have procedures for test to stay. So in other words, if we provide enough tests and children and the parents allow me, 
if a child's been exposed, uh, we can test them multiple times during the week and then allow them to stay in class. So we're looking at both of those changes uh, for some time this month in November. And then, of course, if you add vaccines to the mix, then that even gives us even more flexibility so that children don't have to be quarantined. Are these changes because it's been disruptive so far to have all the kids and, and the teachers be quarantining? Yeah, so Sasha, my concern right now is that even though we're seeing some of the lowest cases, we we have not hit above 200 cases now for almost almost for more than a month in terms of uh, student cases in our district. And keep in mind, we have 330,000 children coming in school every day. And so it's very, very low, but yet we're still quarantining quite a few children. You know, we had over 3,000 children quarantined last week, and that's just for me, it's just too many children. And so I just, I'm concerned about their academic impact. I'm hearing, I'm getting more and more emails and hearing from more parents about how concerned they are. Mm -hmm. And so I just want to be more proactive. And, you know, and this is, of course, always with the advice of of Dr. Awadi and and our health professionals here in the districts. I would never do anything that isn't without their consent, but it is something that I'm looking at for this month of November. Is there a threshold that you're looking for to be able to remove the mandatory quarantines? Like, Are you going to need to have like a certain percentage of students vaccinated, for instance? Well, so what I can tell you, Sasha, and this is based on CDC guidance, if a child is vaccinated and as long as they don't have symptoms, they don't have to be quarantined, period. So that's just that's part of the CDC guidance. And then, like I said, if I can be proactive on using our COVID testing capacity to test children multiple days, the state guidance also allows us to not have children quarantine as long as they don't have symptoms. And so those are the strategies that I'm looking at. So there's no specific target or number. I'm just trying to find the best way for us to be less disruptive in the classrooms. Pedro, let's talk about testing real quick, because, of course, we know vaccines are one way to fight COVID. But testing, some kids have opted in to a a testing program now? How how does it work exactly? And what are the biggest challenges that you've been finding? Yeah, so Sasha, so right now, you know, since the beginning of the school year, we've had parents opt in uh, where they fill out a form. Unfortunately, it's a very lengthy form, and it was already in place when I started. So we have right now just over 27,000 of our students that were parents have opted in to get tested weekly, and that's once every week. And then we also have staff that also have consented to be tested weekly. So at this point, we have the capacity now, and we've had to build it up. It was it was a struggle at the beginning of the school year, but we now have the capacity where we can test pretty close to all of our students that have consented, as well as any unvaccinated staff. And so over the next two weeks, we'll even have above that capacity, which is why now I'm just trying to look at how we can use that testing to lessen quarantine. You've got 330,000 students in the district. Do you have an idea what percentage is actually being tested regularly? Um, So it's not a high number. I mean, it's less than, it's about 5%. And what's interesting, though, Sasha, even with that, we're not, so remember, when we report cases, cases are reported from different sources. So whether it's somebody discovers through their doctor, whether they do a home test, or they get tested in our schools. And even with that, we have not seen cases. I mean, they've been very, very low and continue to stay low. So the good news is that our city is safe and our schools have been safe. I personally like more testing to be in place because that just gives parents more, you know, just reduces their anxiety. And that's why I put a priority to ramp up COVID testing we were, when I first came the job, I think we were under under 5,000 tests a week. Uh, we're now hitting over 25,000 tests a week. So it's been rising, and, and I just you know I just finished my first month. So I know that it's going to continue to rise. So we'll, we'll continue to build that up. As long as we also have vaccines coming in, I think once we have both, I think you know that's going to make parents so much less anxious. We learned last week that enrollment is down 10,000 students from last year. What's driving that? 
So we've had a steady decline, Sasha, for the last six to seven years of about 10,000 students per year. So one of the things, two things I'm looking at, one is we had about 25,000 just in the last two years, and so there is a COVID component to that because we saw declines in pre-K and kindergarten. A lot of that is COVID. But I also think, you know, what I've seen over the years is a significant number of children that are transferring out to uh, outside of Chicago. You know, one of the challenges that I see already is that we have significant structural disadvantages between us and the suburbs. And, and kudos to the suburbs, by the way. I mean, I, I love the fact that they have good programming, but financially and, and even and what they can do in terms of their facilities, uh, within state law, there's just significant inequities that I want to make sure that I'm calling out and that we try to address with the state. So what's your plan then for preventing more students and families from leaving, as you said? So there's a couple of things that I want to look at, Sasha. So one is um, we're going to go deep and do an, uh, a neighbor-by-neighborhood analysis. I want to see what are the programmatic offerings that we have in every single neighborhood. Do we have high-quality options for every child, and have we clearly defined what those are? And is that contributing to some of our enrollment declines, whether they're going to outside of Chicago or, or just leaving the city altogether? The other, of course, is I'll I'll be monitoring the COVID impact effects. So as we look at the younger grades, uh, we did see not a large percentage, but we did see some children going to private schools. I'm going to be really interested in looking at that as well, whether some of those children return. But one thing that for me that I see very clearly is we've had enrollment declines now for several, several years. And so for me, at the heart of it, I want to make sure that our offerings are accessible and that they're high quality for every family, because I think that's going to be our best chance to stabilize enrollment. Do you foresee a time this semester or, or this school year when teachers and students are taking off their masks in the classroom? So, you know, I, I would never, I would, I, I think I would love for that, for that event to happen. First of all, I'll just put it that way. I would never <laughs> I think do I have anything. two kids that would love that too. <laughs> Uh, I would never do that without the very clear consent of, of our health professionals and Dr. Awadi and the City Department of Health. But I do think if we if we reach a certain level of vaccinations, we have an opportunity to get there. And so I'm not going to set a target, but I am consulting right now with both our health team and Dr. Awadi about what potentially that could look like. And so that's why I urge all of our families, please, please get vaccinated, get your children vaccinated. It is going to be our best, best offense against COVID. How else do you imagine this rollout of vaccines for the younger students could influence what's happening in the classrooms? I think the number one will be just minimizing quarantine. Sasha, it is so difficult when we're quarantined, even for 10 days, when a child is out of school and our teachers are doing the best they can. They give them work, but it's not the same. And, and so many times, you know, the children that are being quarantined are, are tend to be in neighborhoods where, as it is, and you know, there's not enough resources for the families, you know, even within those neighborhoods. And so for me, I just worry about the academic uh, challenges that our children are going through, and not to mention the child care issues that our parents have to go through. Mm-hmm. So that, that for me is number one, is, is if we can keep our children in school, they're going to learn best. And we also know that the families will also, you know, they'll have more stability themselves. So there's another issue that concerns the older kids, Pedro. Next Tuesday, all the CPS eighth graders are going to be taking the high school entrance mm-hmm. exam. This is different because um, it's changed from years past. How is the high school admissions process changing? Can you outline it for us and tell us sure. why CPS made the changes? Yeah, so before I came, the board decided that they no longer were going to use NWA uh, maps as a screener. 
and then we also and they decided to implement a new assessment because remember for the last two years we have not had any consistency or for the most part no state testing and so this test is really designed to be a grade level test to see where children are at in their knowledge right now the current policy is weighs both the exam by 50 percent as well as grades seventh and, and grades in seventh grade what i am looking at is what other changes we could make to the policy just to ensure that and that all our children have equitable access, Sasha. And so there's going to be some more information coming out uh, in the next week or two because we're going to be gathering some information from families and asking their opinion. So we are looking at the policy as we speak. But in terms of the, the criteria, it will be a weighted balance between this new assessment as well as grades in seventh grade. Before we wrap up, Pedro, I, I do want to acknowledge how difficult this is, this pandemic. Um, has really made the year difficult for students and teachers in our area. What is CPS doing, though, for the kids as far as supporting their mental health? Yeah, Sasha, and I'll tell you, this is one of my biggest concerns. You know, some of our schools do have social workers and have mental health professionals. For those who don't, we're, we're connecting them to community agencies that have those resources. It is a big challenge, Sasha, and it is something that I think for all of us as parents need to be paying attention to. In the best circumstances, you know, many of our children, especially children that were remote, you know, they're coming back and they're and they're struggling with, you know, just their behaviors at times. You know, with younger children, we'll see more children act out. With older children, we'll see more fights. So our staff are doing the best they can, but, but it, it is a struggle, Sasha, and I think it's something that we just have to continue to work at it. And for me, we're partnering with our community partners just to get these resources to our schools. Uh, but as you can imagine, there's not enough social workers, there's not enough mental health therapists. It is a continuous struggle, and it is something that I want to look at for the future, especially at the county and city and state level around how do we provide resources to families. Well, we appreciate you checking in. That is uh, Chicago Public School CEO Pedro Martinez. Pedro, welcome back to Chicago, and thanks for joining us here on Reset. Thank you, Sasha. Thank you for having me. Well, that's it for today's Reset. For more of our interviews, subscribe to this podcast. And please, give us a rating. It helps other listeners find us. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening. We'll meet again tomorrow. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.